to At Humber. I'm Julian Arwin. Coming up on today's show, Humber's paying it forward with phones. A viral trend saves a life, and art arrives at Guelph Humber. All that and more on today's edition of At Humber. A 16-year-old girl was saved from her kidnapper with a hand signal in Laurel County, Kentucky recently. She was able to ask for help thanks to a video that she saw on TikTok. The sign for help was created by the Canadian Women's Foundation based in Toronto for gender and domestic-based violence. At Humber reporter Michaela Verbruggen speaks with Suzanne Duncan, Vice President of Philanthropy at the Foundation to find out more. How did the Women's Foundation start? The Canadian Women's Foundation? So we were founded 30 years ago by a group of women who wanted to be able to bring together the talents of women, the finances of women, the effort of women to advance issues that had been really left behind. That included things around gender justice, gender equality, gender-based violence. And in those 30 years, we've been able to really move forward our mission to raise money, to grant money to small grassroots organizations, and to be able to push for the systems change we need to reduce the barriers that are holding women, girls, and gender-diverse people back. How did the signal for help start? The, uh, the Canadian Women's Foundation was very worried at the beginning of the pandemic. So back in April of 2020, we've seen from our own research and from world research that whenever there is a disruption like a forest fire or an earthquake or a war or a pandemic, rates of gender-based violence go up quite a lot. And so we were extra worried with this pandemic because it meant that folks were going to be locked in at home. And that could mean if they were at risk of violence, that could mean that they're being locked at home with their abuser. And we also knew that abusers often monitor people's phones, monitor their computers. So we wanted to come up with something that would not leave a digital trace. And so this hand sign that we came up with, the signal for help, um, we've been able to put that out there. Uh, we did that through social media, through traditional media at the beginning of the pandemic, as folks needed one more thing in their toolbox to be able to let people know that somebody needed to check in on them. So who or what started the hashtag signal for help? So we did as part of our efforts to promote that signal back in uh, in the beginning of 2020. And we've seen upticks in usage around that hashtag during different uh, parts of the pandemic as different people around the world use that sign to be able to signal that they needed help. But there have been other cases in Brazil, in Turkey, across Canada, across the U.S. Um, we know that gender-based violence is a huge issue everywhere. Here in Canada, 44% of women will experience a form of gender-based violence in their lifetime. So it was really clear that there needed to be more ways that folks could keep themselves safe. For a moment, the signal is trending on TikTok, which is mm -hmm. considered a more app for youth. How do you yeah. feel about it trending to a younger audience and really getting out the word? I feel really great about it trending to a younger audience, particularly because young women, um, women who are sort of between 16 and 30, are at the highest risk of gender-based violence. And the same with gender-diverse people. Those younger folks um, are the folks who are often most at risk. So it makes a lot of sense 
that something like TikTok has been very important for this because it's really people thinking about their safety, thinking about the safety of their friends and family, thinking about the people that are around them and wanting to put this out there so that people could help each other stay safe. Where can people go to join or find out more about your foundation? Yeah, I would encourage people to um, either follow us on TikTok or on Instagram or go to our website, CanadianWomen.org. You can sign up for our mailing list there, and you'll see when you get to the website, there's a big banner for Signal for Help, so you can actually go and get some tips and resources on how to be a good responder, how to respond when somebody is asking you for help. And over the next few weeks, we're actually getting a whole bunch of materials ready, including conversation guides, case studies, other things that will be really helpful to talk about something that is a, a very stigmatized topic. That was Suzanne Duncan, Vice President of Philanthropy at the Women's Foundation. You're listening to At Humber Radio. I'm Julian Arwin. If you were thinking about a firefighting profession, but it seemed unattainable for you, Humber is taking the steps to change that. The college has partnered up with Markham Fire and Emergency Services, and they are taking an inclusive approach to help more students join the program. At Humber's Meli Gumush has more on the story. The goal of this partnership is to increase student inclusion while reducing participation barriers for black, indigenous, and racialized Markham students who wish to pursue a career in firefighting. Markham's Chief Administrative Officer Andy Taylor thanks Humber for joining Markham in their commitment to reflect diversity and inclusion. This is a collective responsibility. We all have to ensure our institutions and services are barrier-free and that anyone, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, or status, can be employed and contribute to our success. This initiative is going to include scholarships, equipment, supports for training and certification, summer job placements, and mentorship to help students to be successful. Dina Antonacci, Senior Vice President at Humber, says being connected to a service like Markham Fire will bring prestige and profile to the program. And the mentorship, I know, is going to be the big winner. That's the ones where students are going to want to connect with those who are involved in working in the fire service. But there are other elements of the partnership as well. Those include uh, equipment, opportunities to engage in training and certification. In total, there will be eight scholarships available for students two for each of the four school terms. But scholarships are not the only advantage for the future firefighters. Adam Grant, Chief of Markham Fire and Emergency Services, explains how the program helps students. And upon successful completion of both schooling, all their OFAI certifications, they'll be offered an interview with Markham Fire. And upon successful completion of the interview, they will be offered employment. There are some requirements for students to apply for a scholarship. They must live, work or attend school in Markham and identify as black, indigenous or racialized. The goal is to create opportunities for the graduates who enter the fire service in Markham to represent the communities that they serve. Frank Scarpiti, mayor of Markham, says that this initiative will unleash an opportunity for fire services of the city to reflect the diversity they have in their community. It's giving people a chance at a career that might not otherwise get that chance. To mark this partnership, Markham Fire and Emergency Services is making an equipment contribution to Humber to improve the learning of their firefighting students. 
Amanda Baskell, Associate Dean of the Faculty of Health Sciences and Wellness at Humber, says it's an exciting news for the college. Part of our agreement is the donation of fire truck and equipment uh, for Humber's pre-service firefighter education and training program. This truck is an immense improvement and the equipment will support all of the students in the program enabling experiential learning both on campus and during our burn tower days. Both organizations are optimistic that these initiatives will create a more inclusive environment for students and help them to succeed. Meli Gumush, Radio Humber News. Ever wonder what to do with your old smartphone? Well, wonder no more. Humber College introduces the Phone It Forward program in collaboration with the Canadian Institute of the Blind. The special program allows you to donate your old smartphone, get a tax receipt, and then that phone will be given to a person who is blind or partially sighted. At Humber's Hannah Clark speaks with Taylor Buchanan, Humber's Sustainability Communications and Events Coordinator, and Liana Schmashnuk, a representative for the Canadian Institute of the Blind, based in Calgary, for more on the story. First up, Taylor Buchanan. So when it came to the Canadian National Institute of the Blind and Humber College, what exactly went into the discussion of your collaboration for this phone it forward program that's a great question and from my understanding um it was just kind of a, a made sense scenario you know we have um well we produce actually a decent amount of electronic waste at the college and uh as well we're always focusing on well how can we make sure you know the students and and the community surrounding us have access to technology and is it accessible and are they able to uh, to use it so it was kind of a, a no-brainer in a sense to merge the two and to uh, sign up for the phone it forward program so that you know the community here does have the opportunity to donate um, as opposed to just getting rid of their their e-waste and then uh, vice versa they would have the accessible options uh, programmed into the phone so that it could go to someone who could actually use it and Therefore, they would be able to access uh, that technology. And this definitely works into Humber sustainability when it comes to this program? Yes. Yeah. So from my perspective, um, working for the sustainability office, that's something that we are very focused on. So for us, even more so, it was definitely um, how can this program run on campus and reduce the amount of e-waste we have? Um, so there's, there's lots of statistics out there that kind of demonstrate that e-waste is a a very big problem and there's not a whole lot of recycling programs that can support it. So for something like this, uh, donating used smartphones that can actually go to someone in need as opposed to straight to a landfill is, uh, is incredibly important. And when it comes to those smartphones, should students and faculty be worried about phone and data security? when they donate them? That's a great question. And I know um, the CNIB will have a, probably a little bit more of an answer for you because from my understanding, um, obviously, you know, student staff, faculty, they're welcome to wipe their phones themselves if they feel more comfortable. But when you donate your used smartphone to this program, it is something that the CNIB uh, takes care for you. So, you know, they don't have to worry about their privacy or their data being used for kind of malicious purposes. Uh, once their phone is collected, it will automatically be wiped um, if it hasn't already been done so, and it will be uploaded um, with accessible kind of apps for, for someone who's blind. And do you have any anecdotal thoughts about the program and how you see it helping some of the more 
like disabled, blind Humber students in the future? Yes. Overall, since the program has really recently launched, I'm already very excited to see that um, it has been really popular. We had um, a bunch of envelopes already taken. So we've actually had to order some more, which is a really positive sign. It, it shows me that, you know, the community here, even though there's not as many people on campus, the ones who are here are still very interested in donating their smartphones uh, to someone who could actually use it and are probably thinking about the e-waste as well. And, you know, sometimes you have that new smartphone, you're not sure what to do with it. So this is just an easy solution that really has a meaningful purpose at the end of the day. And that's all that we hope for. Um, you know, when people opt into this program is that they realize that it's really making a positive impact, not only on our environment, but also on someone's life who, uh, who now has access to this technology. I also speak with Leanna Smashnuck, a representative of the Canadian Institute for the Blind, based in Calgary, for their side of the story. There's been a lot of questions answered about how the whole Phone It Forward program works. Is there anything you want to clarify for some of our listeners who might be a little unsure? Yeah. So um, anytime a phone comes to us, so it's it's a donation, it's a gift in kind uh, contribution. So when the phone comes to us, what we do is an assessment on the device. So what make is it? Is it iPhone, Samsung, LG, um, and so on? And then the model itself. And then we're able to provide a tax receipt for the fair market value of the device. So on our Phone It Forward uh, website under the donation tab, um, they can actually get a quote on what their tax receipt would would look like. Um, And for students, uh, it's a great thing anytime you donate to a charity because you do get uh, a little bit extra back compared to uh, the rest of the world, which is nice. Um, But then beyond that, all the phones are wiped uh, using military grade software. We make sure everything is off the phone, but we do ask that they do a uh, factory reset first, just as that sort of initial step. And then the phones are processed and and given out to our program participants uh, who are ready to learn on their devices. And then I guess one more thing that I think is is super important, you know, during during COVID, we all experienced a a new level of, of isolation and uh, you know just being having to social distance um, is a very different experience for our peers who are blind or partially sighted because you know if they go into a grocery store uh, and let's say for example they're celiac or gluten intolerant or um, you know have a peanut allergy for them they can no longer if they're partially sighted and do have some vision they can't just pick up a cereal box and you know hold it close to their face to read it because we've we went from this high touch world to a no-touch world. Um, So having a smartphone that has apps that use the camera that are actually going to scan the, uh, whether it be the barcode on the cereal box or oatmeal box or whatever it is, is extremely helpful and extremely beneficial. So, um, you know, these phones are making a huge difference for uh, CNIB participants who need them. And really the the list of what you can do with a smartphone when you're blind or partially sighted, it's quite long. (laughs) And there's a lot of things that they can do and a a lot of ways that it uh, bridges that gap for accessibility for them. Do you have any final anecdotal thoughts about the program and where you hope to see it from here? Yeah, so I mean, this is a program that will be ongoing. Um, It's not something that we're just doing through COVID times. We started it back in 2018 um, and we do see it continuing to grow. Um, like I mentioned uh, before, so so far we have 
uh, gifted almost 2,000 phones um, across Canada, um, and we're hoping to bump that well, uh, well up and over uh, 2,500 before the end of our fiscal, which is ending it at the end of March. Um, so right now we've got about 500, close to 500 people across Canada who are um, waiting for their phones. Um, so if someone out there's got a, a device that they no longer need or it's sitting in their everything drawer, as I like to call it, um, definitely consider donating it to the cause, get a tax receipt for it just in time for the holidays. Uh, and, uh, and we appreciate your support. That was Taylor Buchanan, Humber Sustainability, Communications and Events Coordinator, and Leanna Smashnook a representative for the Canadian Institute for the Blind, based in Calgary. Humber gets a stormy art exhibit in the form of Blur. The installation at Guelph Humber Art Gallery was created by artist Elizabeth Haney and is inspired by Irish landscapes. Blur opens this Thursday and focuses on a mix of oil paintings and photographic landscape shots. I spoke with Elizabeth Haney about her art and her inspiration for Blur. So this exhibit is called Blur. Um, what, what was your inspiration for Blur? Well, back in um, 2019, before the pandemic hit, I was in Ireland on a um, workshop, painting workshop, with one of um, an artist that I really am quite inspired by her work, Edwidge Fouvier. And she did a lot of kind of um, messy oil paintings of the landscape and also like trying to figure out your memories or emotions of being in that landscape. So. During the pandemic, I thought, you know, I want to go to a good place in my head. I want to, you know, express some happy memories. And those are those are memories are of travel and of being in Ireland and the blur of being on a train or a car and how you felt and the excitement and the light and color and things like that. That's what I was trying to do. What about uh, what about Ireland or the Irish landscapes made you think uh, th this was uh made you think it was a good fit? Well, I like the UK and I've traveled to Ireland before. Um, I've been in Wales and England and Scotland and Ireland was new and it has a very rocky coastline. Um, it's very green. It's a beautiful landscape. It's a beautiful landscape to be in and then to express that feeling of being in that landscape. That's what I wanted to do, yeah. And how do you hope this will affect students in Humber? Well, actually, as we were installing it, we had a few people come in and just really love the atmosphere of the paintings. So I think in a positive way, um, they're filled with color, lots of color, and they're optimistic. So, you know, we're still in COVID and we still have all these restrictions, but maybe if you come to the show, you'll feel a little bit lighter, a little bit happier. <laughs> by seeing the colorful paintings, yeah. Why did you uh, choose this style of, of art specifically? Well, I've done, um, I was, I majored at York University in both painting and photography. And while I was in Ireland, I took a lot of uh, photos from train rides, from car rides, um, that kind of blurry imagery. And so when I was learning the technique, uh, the technique is not like trying to depict a landscape, but it's more like looking through a lens that's a bit blurry. I was just trying to combine the two kind of uh, mediums of photography and painting. And I've always tried to do that, tried to figure out a way to do that. So I think with the show, 
that, um, yeah, it's starting to come together in a, in a good way. Where do you hope to take Blur uh, next? Well, I'm hoping um, after the travel restrictions are lifted uh, to possibly go maybe to Spain to do a workshop or to Scotland. Uh, there's an artist I really like, Joan Ederly. Uh, she's deceased, but she painted uh, the Scottish coastline along Caterline. So I was thinking that maybe take a trip there and paint some paintings outdoors again. What kind of landscapes are the best uh, to, to, to paint for you? I like it when the weather is changing, you know, in the middle of a storm. Like, say, there was there was this story that we used to tell about Tom Thompson um, at the AGO, because I was a volunteer at the AGO. And uh, so Tom Thompson took his easel and his canoe, like his, his paints and his boards in the canoe, and pedaled out to the middle of the lake and he wanted to be right in the middle of that storm. And that's where he painted. And then he paddled back to shore and went to his little cabin studio and he ended up painting like a masterpiece, like the West wind. So I think I like a stormy weather. So, so that's kind of how life is, right? Stormy. <laughs> what do you see for your, what do you see in your future for your art and or blur? Well, I think for Blur, um, Blur was one chapter. So I think perhaps I'm done Blur <laughs> and maybe just show in other galleries, let's say uh, around Toronto or Mississauga or Oakville, try to uh, get my work out there more, maybe to show them in the UK. Uh, they have something called the mall galleries, maybe try to show a few Blurs there. And uh, yeah, and then start on a new series, I think, with the coming of the, uh, the new year in 2022. So yeah, maybe just have more exhibitions with this stuff and then uh, see, you know, what my next project is for next year. That was artist Elizabeth Haney. And that's it for today's At Humber. Today's contributors were Michaela Verbruggen, Melly Kubush, Hannah Clark, and yours truly, Julian Arwin. Our technical producer is Noah Skanga. I'm Julian Arwin. At Humber is produced by students in the journalism and radio broadcasting programs on 96.9 Radio Humber. Thank you for listening. <laughs>